title of today's message is What He Said. We're going to be continuing in our Holy Spirit series. If you want to turn to John chapter 14, we'll be there for most of the sermon. We jump in a little bit into um, John chapter 16 also and a few other scriptures here and there. Well, over the summer, we've been learning a lot about the Holy Spirit and looking at scriptures from the Old Testament and seeing what they have to say about this third member of the Trinity. We started off looking at the Holy Spirit in the beginning and his role in the creation of the heavens and the earth. We also saw that the Holy Spirit was always intended to be part of humanity's makeup. Our spirit connected with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and forming that image of God within each one of us. Then we learned in Genesis the time when the Holy Spirit was removed from humanity after Adam and Eve fell into sin. And after that, and throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would only come upon a person in power, but only for a short period of time to empower them and, and help them perform a specific task. One of the most notable times was with Moses, when the Holy Spirit would be upon him so much that his face would glow but then would eventually fade again and he would wear a mask so people couldn't see the, the Spirit of God fading from him and, and start to doubt his leadership or anything. We also saw it in a little shepherd boy named David when he slew Goliath. We saw it with Samson and his extraordinary feats of strength. We saw the Holy Spirit come upon prophets, giving them visions about how God um, currently viewed the spiritual life inside of Israel and, and the future that was to come um, ab about the nation of Israel and even into our day today. We then saw in the book of Joel about how the Holy Spirit was prophesied to return to his rightful place. And that was to be intimately connected to the spirits of those who believe in Jesus. But... That could only be done once the sin problem was dealt with. So this morning, we're now going to enter the New Testament and see some of the things that the New Testament says about the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, we meet John the Baptist and saw him prophesy about a coming Messiah, a Savior that would baptize people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And now... In the New Testament, it talks about the Messiah, Jesus, has come. God made flesh was now dwelling among the people of first century Israel. And that's the setting for today's scripture. The timeline is that we're at the Last Supper. Jesus is having the last dinner, celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And now they are getting up and they're walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is doing some last minute teaching. He's about to be arrested by the Jewish officials. And he knows that his time is short and he's giving some last minute instruction to his disciples. And in this teaching, Jesus spends a great deal of time telling them about the promise of the Holy Spirit. He goes into what the role of the Holy Spirit will be in the life of the church and in the individual believer, then and today. 
And this morning we're going to examine some of those key points and see what Jesus had to say about this future promise and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to start in John chapter 14 and verse 16. This is Jesus speaking. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And Father God, I ask, Lord, that you take this final teaching to the disciples and make it real to us today. Help us to see exactly how you see the Holy Spirit's ministry, about how you have placed it in our lives, and what it's supposed to mean for our lives today. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you strengthen us through the reading and the teaching of your word. I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, how many people here have ever had to, have ever bought something that required assembly? Anybody? Anybody buy a toy for a child for Christmas and it comes with the word, some assembly required. Those are the three biggest lies ever placed on a, on a package. Just some assembly required. It's one of the biggest lies told to an unsuspecting parent. Or how many people here have bought a piece of furniture for the house? Maybe it was a, or a hobby or something that you um, have that involves you to read instructions and build it. One of the jobs that I had when I was young was assembling large entertainment centers in a furniture showroom. They'd sit me down with a set of instructions written in at least five different languages, and English wasn't usually one of them, give you a small tool and a bag with about a thousand different parts in it. And anybody who's had to build one of these things knows that one small mistake and you're going to have to go back and basically start the whole thing over again. And one of the things I learned very quickly was to walk across the store and to look at the finished product to make sure I was putting the one I was putting together correctly for the customer that had ordered this. I wanted to have a picture in my mind of what this looked like and whoever the designer was had what, what they had in mind and what its actual intent was. And throughout our study of the Holy Spirit, we've looked at what various people wrote in the Bible to say about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And now we get to see what the actual intent of the Holy Spirit's coming upon us and living in us is supposed to accomplish. And we get it right from the mouth of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. So we have the creator of the church that we can go to, and we can ask, what is your opinion of what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be? Because after all, isn't Jesus the ultimate subject matter expert on what his church is supposed to look like? So he would be the best person to go to to ask what exactly is the Holy Spirit's role in our lives and how is he supposed to flow in the life of the church. So this morning we're going to be focusing or start off this morning by focusing on one word in John chapter 14 verse 16. 
And that word was translated as advocate. It's the Greek word parakletos. This word is translated a few different ways depending on the translation you are using. Other words and other translations use the word comforter or helper to translate this word. Now, the term advocate is defined in the Bible's languages as a lawyer-type figure that would present your case before a judge in your defense. I personally don't like that definition of the Holy Spirit. I don't like thinking of him as an advocate because that's Jesus' role. Jesus is our advocate before the Father. He's the high priest who stands before God in our defense, who makes intercession for us. I'm not sure why the NIV translators chose that word, but like many different words, it can have different meanings. I personally would um, choose the word helper or comforter over the word advocate. And the reason is because Jesus further hints at what the role of the Holy Spirit will be in verse 18 or John 14:18 when he said I will not leave you as orphans. The reason I believe that this is a better translation is is considering the context in which it is given. Jesus has just spent the last several weeks telling the disciples that he is leaving them. He has talked about going to the cross. He is talking about going away. He is talking about going to a place where they cannot follow. So they have had this hanging over their head now for weeks. And so Jesus is telling him, the disciples here, that when he goes away, he's not going to leave them alone. He is going to send a helper or comforter that will come and live within each of them. So Jesus defines a comforter's ministry in several different ways. The first thing he describes is that he will teach you in all things. The Holy Spirit's first job is to teach us in all things. In John 14, 25 and 26, it says, All of this, the teachings, he's talking about the teachings, all of this I have spoken while I was still with you. But the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So what Jesus is teaching us here is that our connection with God, which was lost in the Garden of Eden, will be reestablished when the Holy Spirit is able to reconnect with our spirit after Jesus takes care of the penalty of sin. Sin is no longer a barrier of the Holy Spirit connecting with us. That barrier that was set up in the tabernacle and set up in the temple is no longer there. That's what that veil was. It was a a symbol of the separation of sin that no one could get through to get to the Holy of Holies. That's gone. Jesus wiped it out. It was symbolized by that tearing of that cloth in the temple. It said it was torn from top to bottom, that that sin is no longer a factor, that humanity could come and be close to God again. So Jesus, through his death and resurrection, is going to reverse the consequences of what happened at the fall. Adam and Eve's sin will be wiped out, and, and through them, our sin will be, or through his sacrifice, our sin 
will be wiped out. Jesus came, and his suffering and death on the cross abolishes that penalty. And its consequences for all who will believe are gone. And now that connection which was lost in Eden has been reestablished. And as Jesus said, we are not orphans. We are now sons and daughters of the Most High God and King. The connection has been remade. And not only that, we don't have to be dependent on a physical teacher being with us 24-7, 365. He's saying that, Jesus is saying that it's wonderful that I'm with you, but what I'm going to send to you is even better. This is going to be a person who lives inside of you, who's available. He doesn't take a day off. He never sleeps. He never gets tired. He's always going to be there to help us live the new life that our born-again experience promises us. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to push Jesus into us and to teach what he has taught us. Now, I do want to point out something here, and it may challenge a few of us who have been around the Pentecostal church for a, few time, or for a long time. The Holy Spirit's ministry, again, is to promote Jesus and his teachings. The Holy Spirit is not here to promote himself. All honor, all glory, and all majesty belong to Jesus. It all belongs to him. And it's kind of a, a hard thing to grasp when we struggle with our understanding of the Trinity because we think, well, the Holy Spirit is equally God. Shouldn't we pray and worship to him as well? Well, the short answer is yes, but I think the better answer is found in the Nicene Creed that we spoke about a few weeks ago. You remember the, the statement where that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and through the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. The Holy Spirit is best worshipped when we obey and emulate Jesus to the world. If you're going to be known for something, you want to be known for whatever you do, has a positive consequence. The Holy Spirit is most blessed when you allow his influence to show Jesus to the world. That is how he is worshipped and glorified. I'm making this point because there are a lot of churches, even today, that have events called Holy Spirit explosions and, and focusing on experience, the Holy Spirit coming upon people in power, and I'm not trying to denigrate that. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. I just want to point out that the Holy Spirit's ministry isn't to make us jump up and down and speak in tongues and perform miracles. His ministry isn't just to give us a rush or give us goosebumps or an experience. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to form Jesus in every single believer and to remind them and teach them what Jesus taught. I once heard a preacher say, you can jump up, all and down, up and down and worship all you want, but if you don't walk straight when you come back down, that's not the Holy Spirit. That stuff may have its place on occasion, but the end result needs to be Jesus being made manifest in the person's life. 
The second ministry that the Holy Spirit has for us, according to Jesus, is to convict the world, and especially the believer, of sin. In John 16, verse 8, it says, When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. As I was driving to work last week, I was praying, worshiping, spending time with God. And praying for several people that were on my heart. Many of them are lost in sin or in the deception of this world. And I was also praying to God specifically about many of the things going on in our, our culture and nation that are completely opposed to him and his plan for us. And I remember praying to God and asking the question, how did we get as a nation this far from you? How, did, how, how are these people, some of them who are once Christians, who, who were born again, how did they get that far away from you that fast? And the reply that God gave me it was almost instantaneous. The Holy Spirit told me that when he is absent or becomes unwelcome in a person's life, that people will instead turn to flesh and the darkness for their comfort. We all need peace. We all need comfort. We all need to have a sense of, of what we're, that we are in a good spot or a right spot. And people will go to one or two kingdoms. They'll go to the kingdom of light or they'll go to the kingdom of darkness. There's only two choices. And he showed me that the less that God is involved, the more darkness a person will need to try to fill that hole that's behind when God's spirit is not welcome. That's why everybody is diving in so deep to the evil that is becoming so pervasive in our, in our culture right now. And then he showed me that a person left in that condition for long enough actually starts to hate the very thing that God has given us to comfort us. And that's his spirit. At worst, the Holy Spirit is now painful to the person who has sunk into that kind of darkness. And that's why America and the world is where it's at today. And as usual, Jesus said it best. In John 3, 19, Jesus said, this is the verdict. The word verdict means truth. This is the truth. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And for me, it was a, a great insight into why we are where we are as a nation. But we are not just a group of people. We're also individuals within that group. And many people are dealing with secret sin in their lives. So I'm going to speak to that right now. I don't mean to be offensive. I'm not pointing at any single person right now. I point to me as I'm writing these things. I point to me a thousand times before I think about pointing at anybody else. It's easy to stand up here and speak about peace and love. But I also love you enough 
to not want you to be in a state that is separated from God. So if you are in a secret sin right now, if you're in a grave sin, I mean breaking like a commandment level sin, and if you feel no shame or conviction about it, if that's you, if you're starting to not even feel shame and conviction, you're in grave danger of losing your salvation. Because that means the Holy Spirit is not having an effect on your life anymore. I would beg you this morning, repent. Turn away from committing that sin. And return to God. Ask Jesus to come and forgive you. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And allow the Holy Spirit to bring life into the death that, that has been brewing in your life and be restored. The older I get and the longer I walk with God, I thank Him for that ministry of the Holy Spirit. I thank Him for not giving me a long leash. I want to feel that tug on the leash immediately if I start to wander. No, it doesn't always feel good. But I thank God for his persistence. I thank God for his unfailing love, his mercy and patience. Because without it, I never would have made it past the first day of being a Christian, much less standing here 30 years later. And that brings us to the third ministry of the Holy Spirit according to Jesus. And that is to bring God's presence into our lives. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. This is Jesus talking. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I did not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. As I said a few moments ago, when the person does not have the presence of God in their life, they will run to the flesh in darkness for their comfort of peace. However, when God is present... He brings his power. He brings his presence. He brings his strength. And he brings his peace to bear in our lives. In fact, his very name is Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. That's why the name of the Holy Spirit is Comforter. He is a source of all of our strength and all of our peace. And it doesn't matter how stressed out we are. No matter what we are facing, this is true in our lives. January 26, 2022, I woke up at 4 in the morning to drive down to Madison for an 8 o'clock appointment. This appointment was a culmination of the last three and a half years of going to college. It represented countless hours of studying, clinical time, driving back and forth to Marshfield and Wisconsin Rapids to complete my nursing degree. Now, with nursing degree, you can get the degree all you want, but you can't be a nurse until you pass your board exam, called the NCLEX. It's an acronym. It stands for National Council Licensing Examination. It's a 250 adaptive computerized test that would determine whether or not I've just wasted the last three years or if I could start my new career as a registered nurse. And I left very early, 
to make sure I wasn't late, because if you're late, you can't take it. You just wasted $250. You have to spend another $250 to take it again. And Madison was the closest place I could take it in the shortest amount of time. So on the drive down, I'm listening to various NCLEX preparation videos. I am drilling myself on nursing facts, medications, treatments, all that stuff that I thought might be on the test. I took three different preparation courses to prepare. Still had those nervous butterflies in your stomach. And when I got there, I'm sitting in the waiting room, and I saw many other nurse, nursing candidates sitting there with me. One got up, she was just visibly shaking. She couldn't sit still. She was literally shaking. She was crying a little bit, just walking around, hyperventilating. Another one was literally sitting in a chair with a waste paper basket in between her legs and her head down between her knees, getting ready to vomit because you're so nervous. The, nurse, the nursing instructors are brutal, and they're saying that if you fail this test, you're absolutely worthless. You know, I mean, they, they have you so wound up about this test. And and sitting there, and I was probably somewhere in the middle of these two candidates. I'm sitting there kind of quietly freaking out in my mind, but I'm not going to show it to anybody. But I'm really, I was just terrified of failing the test and having to face my coworkers and Tammy and you guys as a failure. And the person at the desk called my name and gave me the 10-minute warning, which means go to the bathroom, put your stuff in your locker, all that kind of stuff so you can go right into the test. And I had my earbuds in, and I was listening to some last-minute preparation, when all of a sudden, for whatever reason, my YouTube on my phone switched to praise music. And I, I was a little, I admit, I was a little irritated. I was like, I don't need that right now. I need that nursing prep stuff. You know, I'm, I'm like pushing it. But I felt the Holy Spirit say, nope, I did that. This is what you need right now. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to worship. I'm like, God, you know I love you. God, I, I, God I, I, just do what I told you to do. So I did. I obeyed and suddenly God showed up. And all the fear, all the doubt, all the nervousness just, just literally fell onto the floor. I mean, it just like fell right off me. And I felt an overwhelming confidence that not only I passed, I would pass, I do it in the minimal amount of questions necessary. So my name was called, I put the stuff in the locker, went into the testing room, and instead of being nervous and afraid, I was supremely confident facing this test. I sat down at the thing, and it goes through the introductions, welcome to the NCLEX, can't talk to anybody, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff, and I looked at that computer, and I said, you're gonna rule the day that you, that you challenged my knowledge. I was just that supremely confident all of a sudden. And I blew through it. I was very little stress, answering question after question. I'm actually having fun. I'm like, ha, got that, ha, got that, ha, got that. And then all of a sudden I look down and it's question 74. You say, well, why does that matter? Because question 75 marks the minimal amount of questions you can take. If it, if it shuts off at question 75, You've passed in the minimal amount of questions. It means you've got 95% of the questions correct. It goes through different level of questions, beginner, intermediate, expert. If you keep getting the expert questions right, it just kicks you out at 74. So question 75 is there. I was like, oh, easy. Hit it, pause, computer screen goes blank. I'm like, uh oh. And then it says, thank you for taking the NCLEX. Your, your, Results will be available in two to three business days. 
I remember holding my arms up. I go, yes! <laughs> and you know, Proctor's like, shh. Um, all the other you know, people freaking out <laughs> and all that. And I found it was really easy at that point to worship God. Went out, I did the there's a little trick you can do to see if you passed. Said I passed. And it was really easy to thank and worship God, but the Holy Spirit used this situation to reinforce a critical lesson in my life. And that is the answer to every stress, every trial, every hard thing you have to do in life is Him. He's the answer. Just sitting there worshiping Him. I could have been worshiping Him for the entire three hours it took me to get to Madison instead of listening to you know, podcast after podcast about NCLEX prep and walked into that place supremely confident and filled with the Holy Spirit. But instead I was allowing my fear, doubt, and unbelief to rule in my life. But once God came in, the fear, the doubt, and the unbelief just fell onto the floor. It, was, it didn't exist anymore. Because God's light shone into the darkness, and the darkness was destroyed. That's the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life. To make Jesus famous, and to bring the presence of God and be manifest in our life.